You know, this evening at sunset begins Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the Jewish holiday. But really, what's so interesting about that holiday is the one day in the year that was set aside, there were no commands for fasting except for this day uh, in the Jewish calendar when the high priest would make atonement for the sins of the nation. And of course, that was just all a picture of Jesus. The fact that he would make atonement on the day that he would go to Golgotha, Calvary, and die for the sins of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. And so, as you know, many Jews set this aside this, set aside this day. It's a holy day, Yom Kippur. Uh, we can relate to them, you know. And the beautiful thing is, is that although they do not receive Jesus by and large they don't receive Jesus as their Messiah the day will come amen the day will come the Bible says according to the prophet Zechariah when they will look upon the one whom they have pierced and they will mourn with mourn over him as one who mourns over the loss of an only child and so that is going to be a wonderful day and as Paul said in Romans he said what will it be when Israel is saved at the end you know, what will it mean for the world? It will be the blessing of God upon the world, you know, when that happens. So all of those things we look forward to. But again, just kind of make a note today that that's what's happening uh, in the Jewish calendar. And it's, it is, is a thing that shows us a picture of what Jesus did for us. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's turn together to Matthew chapter 14. And we'll be continuing uh, in verse 23. As we saw last week, there was a lot going on. I mean, you know, there was never a dull moment when you're with Jesus. I, I am sure of that. You know, I think it's one of the reasons why so many people always just, wherever he went, but, you know, there were all people coming all the time because they wanted to be around him because stuff happened when Jesus was around. And one of the things that happened was, you know, when they were all hungry and they had been teaching, he'd been teaching, had been doing miracles and, and uh, they didn't have food. And so Jesus said, look, you guys give them something to eat. And Andrew comes with a kid who has uh, five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, bring him to me, you know, and he breaks it and he feeds the 5,000 men plus the women and children. But the problem was, it was a great miracle. All four of the gospel writers were so impressed they wrote about it. But the problem was that when the people got fed, they were like so into Jesus at this point that they wanted to make him king by force if need be. And Jesus said, no, no, no. You know, that's not what I'm here for. I didn't come to be king. I came to suffer and die on the cross. And so he dismissed the crowd and he immediately told his disciples to get in the boat now. Get across the lake. Go. It was like Jesus did not want them to get caught up in all this political fervor over trying to make him king. Because he wasn't here for an earthly kingdom. He was here for the kingdom of God. And, uh, and so the disciples go across the lake. Jesus goes up to pray on the mountain. And just then, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing, right? He knows that there's this huge storm coming on the Sea of Galilee. How many of you know that we go through storms in life? Amen? I believe that 2020 has been a big storm, okay? 
It's been a storm. It's, it's a storm that, you know, there's two things. There's two lies of the storm, okay? The first lie of the storm is that it will never go away. If you're in the midst of a bad storm and you think, this is never going to end. Well, that's a lie. It will end. You know, one of the greatest words in the Bible is, and it came to pass. <laughs> this too shall pass, you see. The second lie is that you're in the storm alone. You're not in the storm alone. Do you know that that's the beautiful thing? When you come to know Jesus Christ, you are never technically alone, okay? You might not have other people around you, but when you've opened the door and asked Christ into your life, he takes residence by the Holy Spirit. You are never alone. He is God with us, Emmanuel, amen? And so no matter what you're going through, no matter what troubles you are facing this week, no matter what storms you may be encountering that God is allowing you to go through because he does allow people to go through storms. Uh, even his, his people, as we shall see. But you're not alone, amen? You are not alone because God said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. So that's the lesson we look at today as we look at these disciples. Jesus sent them into a storm. Now let's just say that there are two reasons why God will send you into a storm, or why God will allow, if you prefer, why God will allow people to go through storms. The first thing is that you create the storm by your own stupid decisions, amen? There are storms we go through because we made dumb decisions, okay? We disobeyed God. And Jonah is a classic example for that one, Okay? You know, Jonah didn't have to go through the storm that day. The sailors didn't have to go through the storm that day. The only reason it happened is because God called, told Jonah to go to Nineveh. He didn't go, and he decided, I'm going to take a, you know, vacation scenic route to Tarshish instead. And that's when the storm came. That was one that came as a result of disobedience. And sometimes we create a whirlwind because of our own actions. Okay, that's one. The other kind of storm is... That it happens because God just allows us to go through it because perhaps he's testing us or he wants to build our faith, you know, or he wants to teach us endurance um, or he wants us to know that he really is with us even in the storm, you see. And so that's the kind of storm that the disciples went through here. They were obeying the Lord. They weren't disobeying God. Uh, they, Jesus told them, get in the boat, go to the other side. They were smack dab in the middle of God's will. And yet, here comes this life-threatening storm that they think they're going to die in this storm. Uh, and sometimes that's the way it is. You know, if you look at somebody and you say, man, everything is going wrong in your life. Don't come to the conclusion that they are sinning. I mean, maybe they are sinning, but they, maybe not, <laughs> you know. Uh, they might just be going through it like Job went through it or like the disciples went through it. And they haven't done anything wrong. They're in the middle of God's will because bad things do happen to good people. And so that's what was going on here with the disciples. Now, verse 23. Now, when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. So, there they are, 
out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. These guys are fishermen, at least four of them. They knew what the Sea of Galilee was like. But nevertheless, here was this tremendous storm. The wind was contrary. Here they're going where the Lord told them to do, but they're getting headwinds. Opposition. And Jesus, meanwhile, isn't there. You see, the last time that that happened, Jesus was on the boat. He was sleeping on the boat. You know, they had to go wake him up. But at least he was on the boat. This time, he's not on the boat. Jesus sent us into the storm, and he's up on the mountain, you know, having a retreat. What's the deal? Well, what was the deal? What was Jesus doing up there, do you think? I think I know what he was doing up there. He was praying. Well, obviously he was praying, but I think he was praying for his disciples. You say, well, how do you know that? Because Jesus was always praying for his disciples. You know? You know, he told Simon later on, Simon, you know, Satan's desire, he has asked for you by name to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, you see. We see in John 17, he prayed for his disciples. He prayed for those who would come to faith in him through their testimony. That's us. He's always praying for his disciples. In fact, Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus, right now, is sitting at the right hand of God, praying for us. It's sort of like his full-time job. Jesus, what do you do? I pray. I'm interceding. I'm ever living to intercede. He's praying for you. Now, now how many of you know that if you were to go through some terrible storms, through some terrible trial in your life, I mean, what if you're just really going through something, you're ready to tear your hair out, you don't have the answers, you don't know what to do. You don't know how you're going to get through. You don't even know if you're going to get through it. You don't even know if God is for you or against you. Have you ever been through a storm like that? Where you're so disconcerted and you're just, you don't know what to do. How about if you knew that Jesus was in the next room praying for you through that trial? Do you think that that would make a difference? Do you think that if you knew that Jesus was in the next room, he's praying for you in the middle of that trial, and what do you think he's praying? Do you think he's praying, God, just wipe him out? Do him in, Lord? Of course not. He's praying that you'll be strengthened. He's praying that you'll make it through. He's praying that God gives you wisdom. He's praying that you'll succeed and overcome. Right? Well, he's not in the next room. But he is in heaven. And he's at the right hand of God. And guess what? Whatever Jesus prays, he always prays according to the will of God. So he's praying for you right now. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying for us. He's praying for this church. He's praying for our nation. And our nation needs a lot of prayer. (laughs) Oh my goodness. It was a wonderful time yesterday as we were watching from Washington Mall. Uh prayers going up for our nation wonderful prayers prayers powerful prayers prayers that shook me to the core as people are you know god is using this time of of upheaval and testing and storm and pandemic and 
rioting and all of it to, to stir the hearts of his people to pray. Amen? To pray. But you know what? That wouldn't even be happening if the Lord wasn't praying for us. He's praying for us. He's praying for our nation. He's praying for the people in our nation. He's praying for his people in our nation. So he's ever making intercession, not only for his friends, by the way, but also for his enemies. Did you know that? When he was on the cross, they crucified him. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He's even praying for his enemies. Or he's praying for what we might call the (laughs) pre-Christians. They don't know they're going to be Christians yet. I believe he's praying for them too because God already knows. He knows the beginning from the end. So he prays. He ever lives to make intercession. You know, knowing that the Lord is praying for me sort of makes me wonder, what are you praying? I mean, like if you had a dad or you had a grandpa, grandpa, and you heard him praying, and you heard him, like, mention your name. Oh, by the way, you know, Dave, Dave, old Dave, Dave. You know, and, and you'd be thinking, what's he praying? You know, what's he praying for me? Don't you want to know what the Lord is praying for you? Here's, here's why you want to know. I'm telling you why you want to know what he's praying for you. <laughs> he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your gifts. You don't always know your gifts. He knows your calling. You don't always know your calling. He knows your future. You definitely don't know your future. He knows it all. And he's praying according to the will of God. Don't you think you would want to know what he's praying for you? How many of you would like that? I would like to know what he's praying for me. You know what you got to do? You gotta do? Ask. Ask. Lord, what are you praying for me right now? Lord, what are you praying for me right now? What's your will for me, Lord? Because he's always going to be praying according to his will, right? So what's your will for What are you praying for me? Imagine, now, if you're, as a parent, your child comes to you and says, Mom, what's your desire for me? What is your desire for me? Or, Dad, you know, you know, what, what, what is your will for me, Dad? You know, wouldn't you tell your child? Wouldn't you say, this is, this is what I desire for you. This is what I pray for you. This is what I hope for you. This is what I see in you. And this is what I'm, I'm hoping that, that God will take that and just bless you. You know, bless your socks off. And if you would do that for your child, if you would tell them, don't you think God will tell you? But you know, why don't your children come to you and say that? Mom, what's your desire for me? What's your will? Because I'll tell you why. Usually it's because they don't want to surrender to it. (laughs) They don't want to do it. They want to do their own thing. They don't want to do your thing. They want to do their own thing. So they don't ask that. (laughs) I don't really want to know. (laughs) I want to do what I want to do. Do you think... Do you suppose that we're ever the same way with God? 
Well, I don't really want to know what you're praying for me. You might ask me to do something I don't want to do. Let me just, why don't you just kind of let me know what you're praying for me and whether or not, you know, then I'll decide whether or not I want to do it. God doesn't work that way, does he? No. He says, trust me, I love you. I know it's best for you. I know you better than you know yourself. And that is why the best thing that we can, any of us can do is just say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, what's your choice for me? What are you praying for me? What's your vision for me? What's your plan for me? What are your goals for me, Lord? Because you know what's best for me. And the, and the older I get, the more I forget. Okay, well, that's one thing. The older I get, the more I forget. But that's true. The second thing that I, the older I get, the more I realize I want his way, not mine. You know, I've made a lot of stupid decisions in my life on my own. And I realize I'm kind of done with that. (laughs) I'm kind of like done trying to have my own way and making stupid bonehead decisions that I have to suffer through. How much better is it for me to just say, Lord, your choice here. What's your choice? And let me submit to that. I find that that's a lot wiser. Do you realize that life consists of a bunch of failed decisions? Life consists of a bunch of you doing it your way and falling down flat on your face. Like a million jillion times, right? Until you finally come to the point where you say, I'm kind of dumb being so stinking stubborn. I'm just going to say, Lord, what would, you, how, what would you have me do here? Because you realize that the more that you do that, the more he blesses it, and the more successful you are, and the less you have a bloody nose from falling on your face. Amen? And so God brings us to that place where we begin to desire his will. We begin to say, Lord, what are you praying for me? And let me be in line with that. See? So all this to say that Jesus is praying for his disciples as they're out in the storm, dealing with the storm. And then, verse 25, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. <laughs> okay. It's, you know, there's a lot of ways he could have done this, right? He could have just said, poof, poof, you know, and boom, he's there. That would be one way. He could have just made the first jet boat. Just boom. You know, that would have blown their minds. No, but he didn't. But the thing is, what is interesting is that Jesus wanted to be with his suffering followers who were scared. They're very scared right now. They think they're going to die. And when, you know, Jesus let them hang out there for a while. The fourth watch of the night. That's 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. How many of you think that, Lord, why is God taking so long in the midst of this storm, huh? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought, Lord, if you're there, why are you taking so long to do something? Why are you taking so long to show up? Well, you know, God has his reasons. And one of the times, or one of the things, maybe he's just teaching you to trust him. To persevere, hang in there. But he finally comes, and when he comes, nothing is going to stop him from coming to you. No waves are going to stop him 
nothing. He's not going to, he just walks on the water. He defies the natural laws. Now, don't ask me how he did it. Did he suspend the law of gravity temporarily? I don't know. Did he increase the surface tension of the water? So he's like one of those little water spiders, you know, that walk on the water. I don't, I don't know. But he did it. And they see, they're scared anyway. They think they're going to die. And suddenly they see this figure walking on the water. And they're like, oh my gosh, you know, it's a ghost. They're freaking out. They thought it was a ghost. The, 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 uh, the Greek word here is phantasma. That's sort of a cool sounding word, isn't it? Phantasma. It means a shadowy apparition. They're like, oh, you know, they're freaking out. <laughs> I get a lot of comfort from these guys, right? Because they just didn't do it right so many of the time, so much of the time, right? So, so it, it, it's just humorous. I think the Bible is funny. These guys are just, it's, you know, these grown men are like freaking out, crying like kids. Ah, it's a ghost! You know, it's like, and so, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. Be of good cheer. In other words, take courage. Take courage. Courage. You know what? We can be overcome by fear. Fear is one of the things that the enemy loves to use to just mess with our heads. But do you know that you can take courage? It's, it's not that you don't have the fear. It's just that the courage that you take overwhelms the fear, you see. And the courage that you take comes from God. You just choose to take the courage that he gives you, knowing that you're his child, knowing that you're indestructible until God is done with you, knowing that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You you just, you meditate on all those promises and you just choose, I'm going to be courageous. It's not that you don't have fear, you may still have lots of fear. But you take courage anyway. So that's what he said. And you know, the Lord is always encouraging his people. The Lord will never discourage you. Did you know that? That's the devil's department. God leaves that to him. (laughs) The devil does a great job of discouraging people, especially discouraging Christians. Getting you to clam up when you, sh- which you should speak. Giving, getting you to shrink back when you should serve. You know, all of these things he loves to discourage. Christians. Jesus won't ever discourage you. He might correct you. If you're going in one direction, he might say, no, don't go there, go over here. But it's always to encourage you in the right direction, you see. He'll never discourage you. So he says, take courage, you guys. It's like what God said to Joshua, you know, he has big shoes to fill. He's coming in after Moses. He has to take the children of Israel and go conquer all the giants of the land. What does God say over and over again? Be strong and courageous, Joshua. Why? Because I am with you. And God in one person is a majority. <laughs> so take courage, Jesus said. Second, he said... It is I. Literally, he said, I am. 
You know, <laughs> I wonder if it thundered after he said, I am, <laughs> you know, because what he was doing was he was saying, I am what? I'm God. He was taking the same name of God that when Moses, you know, at the burning bush said, well, who do I say is sending me? I am that I am, you know, tell them that I am. <laughs> Thus you should say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. What does that mean? It means that the Lord is the becoming one. That is, whatever it is that you need, that is what God wants to be to you. Are you lonely? He will be your friend. Are you weak? He will be your strength. Do you need provision? He is your provider. Do you need healing? He is Yahweh Rapha, the Lord your healer. Do you need peace? He is Yahweh Shalom, the Lord. I am your peace. You see, I am the becoming one. What is it that they needed right now? Well, they needed comfort because they were scared. They needed the storm to end and he would calm the storm, you know. They needed peace. Guess what? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. What is it that you need? What is it that you need from the Lord? What is the void in your soul? You see, the the Lord wants to be that for you. You, You'll try different things. As Dave talked about here this morning in his opening remarks, there's a God-shaped vacuum. You could try to put drugs in it, sex, alcohol, whatever. You name it. You name your vice. You try to fill the void with all of the stuff. And it doesn't fill the void because the void is God-shaped. It's made for him. But he wants to be to you what it is that you need. And so it is I. I am. You don't need to be afraid. This is the last thing he said. Now, because they could take courage, because he was everything that they needed, then they could just not be afraid. Because the Lord was with them. And when you have the Lord with you, you have everything you need. To go through any storm that you encounter. He is enough. And so. Well Peter verse 28 said. Lord if it is you. Command me to come to you on the water. Now what is the purpose of this? Okay. You know, you know there's, there's commentators. That you know they're always poking fun at Peter right. Because Peter never did anything halfway. Okay? When he was good, he was very, very good. When he was bad, he was very bad. Okay? You know? He's just impulsive. Absolutely. But at least he's got faith. Lord, if that really is you, then all you got to do is give the word and I'm going to come out there with you. Let's do a little water skiing here today. This is going to be cool. Now, why did he even say that? There was no practical purpose in this. Why did he say that? Was it just because he wanted to be close to Jesus? Could be. Was he just thought, did it, was it that it just, he looked at Jesus and goes, man, that really looks cool. Walking on the water. I want to try some of that action. Could be. Or was it, you guys, bunch of fraidy cats, I'm going to go out on the water with Jesus. Watch me. You know? I don't know. Could have been. Who knows? We don't know his motivation. But what's interesting is he asked, Lord, give the word. I'll come out there with you. What has Jesus said? Come. 
Man, a few words, right? <laughs> Come. And so, I, now why would Jesus even say come? Again, there's no practical reason for this. Is there? How about this? God loves it when his people exercise faith. God will, the Lord will do anything to strengthen your faith. When he sees somebody who has faith, he'll say, hey, hey, let's get the, let's get the power of heaven behind that guy. Why? Because he believes. He knows who I am, and all he's looking for is permission here. So let's grant it. Let's do it. I mean, that's, it wasn't like he was going to go out there and have a preaching ministry to the dolphins or something, you know? I mean, there was no practical purpose for this other than for him to just get out there and see what faith would do, you see? And so Jesus says, yeah, Come. So you see here, there's the motivation of Peter or his desire. There's the invitation of Jesus saying, come, or or the permission that Jesus granted uh, to Peter. But none of that would have meant anything. You know, you can have the desire, you can have God opening the door, but none of it means anything if you just stay in the boat. Because at, at, when you have the faith, when you have the permission, you have the desire, you got to do something with that. you got to get out of the boat. And this is what I love about Peter. Everybody else is sort of comfortable, kicking back. He's like, yeah, it's, it's cool. Jesus is out there. Wow, this is trippy, man. I ain't getting out there. <laughs> no way. Peter says, I'm going. He gets out of the boat. You see, so there's the motivation, there's the invitation, but there's got to be the perspiration, folks. There has to be the work involved. You don't get to walk on water unless you get out of the boat and do something. You have to take action on your faith. And I believe, I, my fear is I'm going to get to the judgment seat of Christ and the Lord's going to look at me and just say, you know, why didn't you take more risks? You could have done this and this and this if you just trusted me. I would have done that for you. Dang it. You know, I'm just going to be like, dang, really? Get out of the boat. Discomfort yourself if you want to be used of God to do something effective for the kingdom of God. Amen? You have to. You have to get out of the... You got to get off the couch. You got to get out of the boat. You got to start exercising the faith in order to see the miracle. And that's what Jesus... Or that's what Peter did as he just went out to Jesus. He took a step out of the boat, started walking on the water. This is amazing. You know, I want everybody to turn around. Hey, guys. Bet you wish you were out here like me, you know. Boom, 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 you know. Walking on water. Maybe he was dancing a few steps, you know, who knows. But then, you know the story, right? You know the story. It's like the wind is whipping up these waves. They're huge. And it's just like, oh my gosh, you know. 
What am I doing out here? I could sink. And as soon as he starts thinking that, what happens? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? It's a think it and sunk it kind of thing. (laughs) And he starts going down. (laughs) But he has got enough presence of mind to say, Lord, save me! You know, at least he knew who to call out to, okay? Now again, I love Peter because he's just so honest. Here's the deal. There's so many times when we will start something in faith. And the Lord says, yeah, go for it. And we take a step out of the boat and we start doing it. We start going for it. And then we hit the trials, the wind, the waves, all of that. And, and that's what we see. But the problem was Peter took his eyes off of Jesus. And he put them on the obstacles, in this case, the wind, the waves, and down he went. Folks, there's always going to be the obstacles. The key is get your eyes on Jesus. Don't ignore the obstacles. They're there. We don't live in denial. We don't pretend that there is no wind or waves. That's ridiculous. That's just denial. But we look at Jesus and we realize that Jesus is bigger than the wind and the waves. And when you start getting out there and things start going wrong and it doesn't go the way you thought it would and and there is opposition and the people that you thought would be with you are not with you, all of those things that begin to happen, then you say, you've got to get your eyes on Jesus and say, Jesus, you called me to this. You're praying for me. So you're going to use it for good. So help me keep walking this walk. Amen? Amen? That's the way it works. So, of course, he starts going down. The Lord pulls him up. I love this. He reaches out his hand. He pulls him up. I love that. Has there ever been that time when you just knew the Lord just touched you right in the bottom of the pit? And he pulled you out. Psalm 69 is all about that, you know. David saying, man, I, I, I cried out so much, my, my throat was parched and dry as a bone. I'm in the lowlands, Lord. Where, where are you, Lord? And then you saved me from the miry clay. You pulled me out of the pit. You set my feet on solid ground. The Lord loves to save. So, but, he said, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? You know, what was his tone in that? You know, you know, we don't get the tone in the scripture, right? Was it, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? You know, is that it? I think not. I think it's, oh, Peter. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? You're doing good, man. You know, why? Because he's always seeking to bring out faith. You know, there's that promise. I love it. It's in Second uh, Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God's looking. He's just looking for people whose hearts are in tune with his heart, that he can strengthen them, that he can... Give them the faith that he can bless them. And he'll do the miracles. You see, greater works than these will you do because I go to be with the Father. The Lord is looking to bless people that will just get out of the boat and walk on the water and not 
doubt. Why did you doubt? You're doing good, Peter. Well, immediately, Jesus, uh, it says says rather here, immediately, the boat, where am I? (laughs) I lost my place. Okay, So, so verse 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So, you know, once again, they get Jesus on the boat, Peter and him climbing the boat. <clears throat> Silence, calm. John gives us an additional detail. He says that immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. So he got in and it was just like, boom, they were at the land. Okay, I don't know how that happened. If it just seemed that way, that it just went by so quick. Whether he just miraculously just shot the boat across the lake, I don't know. But that the wind stopped, they're at the land, Jesus is in control, everything's okay. You know, Jesus is sort of a good guy to have around, don't you think? He's a great guy to have around when you're in the middle of a storm. The problem was they lost sight of the fact that he still was with them even though he wasn't physically there. He was there in spirit. He was praying for them. He knew exactly what was going on. And that's the part we forget when we're in the storm. We forget that he's there. He is there. I mean, he's more there with us now than he was with them because they didn't have the Holy Spirit and hadn't been given yet. Now we have the Holy Spirit. Christ is in us always. He's never leaving us. He's never forsaking us. He's not separated us even though we don't see him. He's still with us always. Amen? And he's the master of every situation. The key is believing that and letting him have his way. And just resting in that. There's a purpose in it. You may not understand. And I don't, we, we lose sight of that. I, I, I get upset. I get anxious. I get worried. I get neurotic, you know, like anybody. But it's because I forget. The Lord is here. He's in control. He's the master of the situation. He's got a purpose. And my job is just, okay, Lord, help me rest in you. What's your purpose? Show me what to do. Give me wisdom. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. You are here. You're in me. Help me get out of the way and let you just be. (laughs) So they got to the other side. And when they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him, that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Man, I, did Jesus ever get tired? I mean, you know, they go through all of this, and they, they get there, and then all these people just, oh, it's Jesus, bring out your sick, you know. They all come, and they all just, and, and they just, if I only... Maybe, maybe it was the woman with the hemorrhage of blood. She sort of like told, okay, here's the deal. Just go touch the hem of his garment. That's what I did. You know, so they're thinking, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be healed. And the thing is, it's the catalyst to their faith. They touch the hem of his garment. They believe. 
Power goes out, they're healed. And Jesus continues to do this. It's like he didn't get tired or weary of ministering to people. Wow. That's the Lord we serve. And he doesn't get tired or weary in ministering to you. He doesn't get tired or weary of hearing your prayers. But what he does desire of you is that you'll trust him and that you will surrender to his will. And if you'll do that, man, there's no end to what the Lord can do for you. Do you trust him? Do you believe him to do it? Do you believe he's bigger than whatever the waves or the wind are that you're looking at right now? Maybe it's a failed marriage. Maybe it's a lost job. Maybe it's a prodigal kid. You know? You look at those wind in the waves. You look at those things that seem insurmountable, impossible. Hey, it was not real possible to walk on water, was it? But how big is your God? Do you think God can handle that? Do you think it's big enough for God to handle? And are you going to release it to Him? Pray, absolutely. Yes, trust Him, absolutely. But are you going to release it to him and just say, Lord, I'm done messing with this, manipulating it, scheming over it, all of the other stuff that I do, I'm just giving it over to you and I'm going to trust you to do what you're going to do. And the moment that you tell me to do something, I'll do it. But until then, I'm just going to rest in you. Can you do that? And just trust him with it? He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we ask or think. Amen? That's the God we serve. And he loves you. Believe me, if it's a concern to you, it's a concern to him. You, You feel that way about your kids. You know, the first time their little heart gets broke is, you know, the person they had a crush on, you know, dumps them. And you're just like, oh, you're going to have so many of these moments. (laughs) But your heart goes out for them. Don't you think the Lord's heart goes out for you too? When your heart's crushed? Of course. Of course it does. But will you trust him, you see? So what storm is Jesus permitted in your life? Are you afraid? Are you frustrated? Are you doubtful? He's praying for you through it all. So maybe try asking him, Lord, here's the situation. Let me get on the same page as you. What are you praying right now for this? Whether it's about me, whether it's about somebody I care about, what? What's your prayer here, Lord? You're ever living to make intercession. What's your prayer? Let's get on the same page, Lord. Let me pray what you're praying here. Show me how to pray. Here's another another wonderful promise once you do that, according to uh, John's epistle that, you know, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, then we know that we have what we've asked for. Now, he doesn't say when. He just says in, in the heavenly courts, the matter is settled. So just trust that. 
that's the advantage of getting on the same page as the Lord as he's praying, you see, for these things. And you can pray with faith. You can pray with confidence. You can pray with peace. Is there some impossible thing that you want to do? Would you just ask the Lord? Lord, if it's you. When we came here to Boise, I just, you know, it was actually Cindy that first the Lord started talking to about Idaho. And I was like, because she was doing real estate, doing relocations here. (laughs) There's a lot of relocations now from California, right? (laughs) And she said, I don't know why, but I can't get Idaho out of my head. And I said, well, get it out of your head. (laughs) What's in Idaho? Potatoes? I mean, you know. But then, you know, my pastor said, well, what are your long-term plans? And I thought, I don't know. I should pray about it. And he never asked me that before. I was, I don't know. I'm happy being here. But then I thought, well, I, sh- I guess I should pray and ask, Lord, what do you have? And it was one of those listen to your wife prayers. <laughs> so I go and say, Cindy, what do you got on Idaho. She goes, what? Do you think we're supposed to? I go, I don't know. I just need a break. Give me what you got on Idaho. <laughs> so then it was like, oh, well, let's scout it out, you know. And, and it was one of those things, you know, is this really you, God? And I, I remember there was this gal. Her name was Nancy Alexander. She was a gal at our church. And she gave me this book called, Is That Really You, God? It was by Lauren Cunningham, the founder of Youth with a Mission. Why wham? And I remember reading that book. I said, Lord, is this really you? Are you calling us to Boise, Idaho? We don't know anybody. And it was like one of those, okay, Lord, well, if this is you, you know, I'll do it. You've got to just get me a worship leader, Lord. <laughs> we don't know anybody there, so if we do this, you just got to get me a worship leader. That was sort of my one condition. <laughs> so we moved. And I didn't trust the Lord because I put an advertisement in the, the paper for a worship leader. I don't advocate that method. <laughs> that was the Daryl method. And we got this gal. She, you know, she was sincere, but she wasn't talented. <laughs> and we sort of suffered through that for a couple of weeks. Then I get a call from this guy and he goes where have you been I said who are you he goes well we were told that you were going to be coming here I said who is this he goes well it turned out that he had he was friends with Pastor Brian Newberry in San Diego Calvary Chapel and, and the cry had come to it was a band back then they'd come to our church in Sacramento and I'd mentioned to them that we were going to do this in Boise and he'd mentioned it to his pastor and he'd mentioned it to this guy not John was his name and and he was waiting for us to come here and he was a worship leader week three he brought his very pregnant wife Kathy and uh, they came we had like four people at our service at the time and he started doing worship he was our worship leader for the next 12 years so 
God does impossible things for people to just trust. Is there some impossible thing the Lord is leading you to do? Man, this is a good time to do it. By the way, last point, and this is a bonus, okay, because I'm over time. Last point, it was a storm. Storms are a mess, right? But it was only because it was a storm that Peter got to walk on water. (laughs) And it's through storms that God brings forth new births of ministries, new impossible things for those who have the faith to trust him to do it and are willing to get out of the boat. Is that you? Maybe so. Maybe God's calling you to do something impossible. Would you trust him to do it through you? Hey, man, that's a great adventure. What does the world have that compares to that? Nothing. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your presence. Lord, thank you truly that you are with those who have bowed the knee to King Jesus. And Lord, I pray for anyone here or maybe is watching who has not yet made you Lord and Savior through a personal act of the will of faith to invite you into their life. To say, Jesus, I know I have made mistakes. I've gone my own way. I've done it wrong. But Lord, I see now that you love me, that you died for my sins. And I want you in my life. Lord, just that simple prayer. I pray that you'd honor that today, Lord Jesus. I pray you'd come, that they would know that you have entered into their heart and life to make a difference. And Lord, I pray for any of us, Lord, that are... Your followers, yes, we know you, yes, but maybe we've been stuck in the boat, Lord. We've been going through this rocky storm. We've been tossed to and fro. We haven't known what to do, but Lord, we've just tried to hunker down in the boat. (laughs) And we haven't got out of the boat. Lord, I pray that if you're calling us to a new step of faith, Lord, that you would lead us today. Lord, that you would just birth new ministries, birth new hearts, do new works today in your hearts of your people, Lord. Give them faith to step out into new regions where you are calling them. Lord, it could be as simple as offering to care for the babies in the nursery. It could be as simple as bringing over cookies to their neighbor. Lord, it could be as simple as giving to a missionary. But Lord, whatever it is that you're calling us to do, Lord, I pray that we step out in faith today. We wouldn't let the sun go down before we take that step of faith. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.